The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance, in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little, but some day the piecing together of disassociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. H.P. Lovecraft Lovecraft was a horror writer, releasing his works pretty well this time a century ago through the 1920s, essentially creating the genre of cosmic horror, which for the most part is the idea of horrors in our world, on and around this earth so unfathomable, we're talking things like nightmare-inducing paintings too real for comfort, cursed bloodlines, ancient megacities too huge for human beings, giant sea monster gods dormant on this earth and save a few crazy cultists, mankind blissfully unaware of their existence. Until they weren't. He wrote of seeing horrors so abominable they flipped your world view on its head, made you realise how truly insignificant you, I and humanity as a whole are in a world not built for us, and how indifferent we at the supposed top of the food chain were considered by those whose very existence we were previously ignorant of. Many of Lovecraft's protagonists that saw these horrors generally stayed silent for fear of ridicule went quietly insane, and some of them killed themselves as a result of not being able to handle the now undeniable reality that this world just isn't what they'd known it to be. There was no turning back from, nor would there be any coping with their freshly recognised new normal. Later on in the 20th century, after World War II, a breakthrough would occur with the element lead that had led to, among other things, the removal of it from our fuel sources. Lead had been used since Roman times. It was a great material for the cook pots used when boiling down a grape juice concentrate the Romans called defrutum. Defrutum would be used to sweeten wines. They'd add it to animal feed to get its flavour into the meat. It was a food preservative for the troops and it'd even be used in the makeups and cosmetics of the time. But perhaps most notably, it was famous for being used in the pipeworks and aqueducts of the Roman Empire to the point that the term plumbing is derived from the Latin word for lead, plumbum, which in turn has the letters P and B representing lead on the periodic table. With it as prominent as it was, it's hotly debated whether or not it also contributed to Rome's downfall. Lead was known then to send folk mental, and that knowledge didn't go away, yet neither did lead. Benjamin Franklin had written about lead, and had met with physicians about it, and its link to a condition called dry gripes, where folk exposed to products such as whiskey made with leaded components would lose the use of their limbs. So where did lead go, and why don't we use it today on the scale that we did back then? We'll fast forward to the 1950s and we meet a fellow named Claire Patterson who'd discovered an alarming amount of lead in the atmosphere and alerted the authorities. I'll read now from an Illinois education website linked in this episode's description. After Patterson completed his work with calculating the age of the earth, he turned his attention to a problem he'd discovered during his research. He was perplexed at the amount of lead contamination in the atmosphere. Furthermore, he was surprised that the general population was not aware of the effects of lead on the human body. This was mainly because for the last 40 years, all studies done on the effects of lead had been done by doctors with no specialised training in chemical pathology and who were primarily funded by the manufacturers of lead additives, notably the Ethyl Corporation. One of these doctors hired by the Ethel Corporation was a man named Robert Kehoe. His job was to perform scientific research to raise doubt in the public that lead was poisonous. 
Some of his reports stated that there was no evidence that lead was toxic, that since it was naturally occurring, it could not be deadly, and that if workers are overexposed to it, then it is simply an issue of regulations within a company. Keogh was able to persuade the public that lead poisoning should not be seen as an issue. End quote. The creators of Tetraethyl Fuel and the Ethyl Corporation didn't use the term lead in any of their branding. Not that we would have done anything anyway if you look at the leaded advertisements of the time. The CEO had spent the company's early years recovering from lead poisoning and afterwards wouldn't go near his own factories. Remind many of us three quarters of a century on of tech giants and many others that have anything of note to do with these modern quote-unquote conveniences, keeping their products far away from themselves and their families. Good for thee, not for me. Here's Neil deGrasse Tyson in the 2014 Cosmos episode titled The Clean Room. some of the workers who processed the stuff in factories in Delaware and New Jersey were going insane, hallucinating, jumping out of windows. They died screaming. This was a selling job that would require a lot more than dancing light bulbs. science to calm the public's fears and improve Led's image. They found the right man for the job. This was one of the first times that the authority of science was used to cloak a threat to public health and the environment. Robert Kehoe, a young doctor from Cincinnati, was hired by GM. He raised scientific doubts in the public mind about the dangers of lead. This was the first time that the authority of science was used to cloak a threat to public health. They jumped out of windows and died screaming. Mostly harmless, say the independent fact checkers of the mid 20th century. Patterson had worked on the Manhattan Project. Both he and his wife were invited to work on it. After that, he developed a new method of dating and used it to calculate the age of the Earth and off the back of that, starts his campaign against leaded fuel. Despite his past accomplishments, he's shunned by a scientific community that couldn't hold a candle to set accomplishments, but that doesn't stop him from working in tandem with huge corporations having Dr. Fauci's prototype, Kehoe, as the figurehead to convince the public that lead is fine. And it took over 20 years just to be heard and hired again. No public outcry. No wallet votes, the only votes these grubs have ever cared about. When the Romans celebrated Saturnalia, the festival based on the Roman god of lead, Saturn, who would end up shockingly going bonkers, They'd have week-long celebrations that overturned their social norms. Gambling was permitted. They'd present each other with wax figurines as joke gifts. Masters had set the tables of slaves, and a king of ridiculousness would be crowned. They found it liberating to live in topsy-turvy land and crown the guy who can act the most insane, but only for a week, right? Only for Saturnalia. It'd be insane to live in topsy-turvy land for any longer than a week out of the year and crown the highest among you as a representative. Imagine the laws that are being enforced. Or the little figurine awards being handed out. And here's Tyson now. Today I feel 80% female, 20% male. I'm going to I'm going to put on makeup. Anyway, in the year 2019, over 169,000 people died in Australia. The number one cause of death with 18,000 victims, ischemic heart disease, regular influenza and pneumonia as they're grouped together, 
ninth place with over 4,000 victims. The 20th leading cause of death in the year 2019 racked up just over 2,100 casualties. Australia reached its thousands COVID death by August 30th of 2021. 18 months after the start of the pandemic. To justify the lockdowns, to justify the mandates, to justify the ring of steel. And of course, digital certificates to save lives from March of 2020 to the end of August the following year. Over 18 months 1,000 deaths. Not even half as deadly as cirrhosis and liver disease, 2019's 20th leading cause of death. So it's a good thing we locked down, right? Imagine how bad it would be if we hadn't have locked down. Well, when Australia reached 1,000 nationwide deaths on August 30th of 2021, 820 of them had occurred in Victoria. Then again, on the day of the mandates, almost two-thirds of Australia's COVID death toll had occurred in the harshest lockdown city in the world. Almost double that of New South Wales. And when the Victorian mandates came into effect, there were a mere 40 deaths from the remaining states outside of Victoria and New South Wales, with the exception of the NT, where their death toll remained the same as it had been since the start of the pandemic. Zero. But that didn't stop the compliance. These stats weren't a secret back then. These stats were reported on in the mainstream news. So if you're begging for it, why not, right? If you ache to be locked down, by all means, lockdown. If you ached for vaccines, by all means, get vaccinated. If you ached for a new normal, by all means. If you beg to be shackled, well, who am I to say otherwise? Frederick Douglass once said, Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. I'd add to that by saying power does nothing and gets nowhere without a demand. Douglas lived a couple hundred years ago. He was born and raised as a slave in the US state of Maryland. Slavery that he'd later escape and go on to teach the beauty and horrors of freedom and its opposite. How to obtain such freedom, not just physically but also mentally. And his teachings survive today in a book I'll be reading from titled... Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. Now, because I'm using the writings of a former slave, that doesn't mean I'm implying anybody in today's society is also a slave. Matter of fact, I think we can all agree with Douglass as an authority on the subject. We'll use his definition so as to not muddy the waters. Quote, A slave is someone who sits down and waits for someone to free him. End quote. What's most interesting about his life, and really one of his main teachings, is that the better he had it, the better he wanted it. The worse he had it, the less he thought of his own escape. In today's age, we have the luxury to say, oh, this job sucks, I can't wait to get out of this place and build a better life, opposed to life being so shit, you become content in chains with no desire to escape. A kind of Stockholm Syndrome, or as those inflicted with this ailment call it, toughening up. Douglas said it best when he said, quote, I have observed this in my experience of slavery, that whenever my condition was improved, instead of increasing my contentment, it only increased my desire to be free, and set me to thinking of plans to gain my freedom. 
or his much shorter version, knowledge makes a man unfit to be a slave. Generally speaking, the closer you were to the cities, in his case Baltimore, the better off you'd have it as a slave. Because the quality of life that your slaves had was seen as status amongst the slaveholders. He was taught to read, until that was shut down, which is something we'll get into later. But once he had a taste of knowledge and reading, of what it meant to be a free man, he knew what he wanted, he knew he was worth more, and he wouldn't settle for anything less. But of course, much like SARS-CoV-2, slavery is over. So why care now? Let's bring the times a little closer now to, say, five months ago. July 31st, 2023. And we'll go ahead and assume the mandates actually did something, right? Surely the vaccines were so effective we didn't need to take three of them within the first six months, right? Surely the death toll between the 20-month pre- and post-mandate, well, it must have been at most the same. Safe and effective... That was a pitch definitely for the consumer. Surely the death toll hadn't doubled. I mean, anecdotally, many of us personally knew next to no one that got it before the mandates. Everyone seemed to get it after the mandates. But that just must be a coincidence, right? That's just my anecdote. And anecdotes aren't data, no matter how many of them there are. When the thousandth death came about on August 30th of 2021, it was in a spike, leaving us to wonder what people were doing, what they were receiving in the months leading up to the October mandate. Well, that spike had continued. And our thousandth COVID death over 18 months would indeed more than double within the following three months. And Victoria's 20-month pre-mandate SARS-CoV-2 death toll doubled between the mid-October mandate and the Australia Day celebrations of 2022, just over three months later. During the mandates, with most folk double-jabbed, many boosted, and more haven't caught it and recovered, which as the infamous Israeli study shows us, Granted immunity between 6 and 13 times stronger than the initial dose of the vaccine. Caught it and recovered 6 to 13 times more powerful than the initial dose. Now catching, recovering and building a resistance to future infection, there are many audacious fellas out there who call that natural immunity. But thank goodness... The WHO are here to tell us how they changed their definition of herd immunity to basically mean it doesn't exist naturally. There was no learning to live with it. Herd immunity only exists once vaccinated. As a side note, the WHO's number one donor became the US's largest farmland owner with his finger in the pie of lab-grown meats and bug diets. Another coincidence. Reading from the graph now, courtesy of the Australian Bureau of Statistics website, abs.gov.au, 906 COVID deaths nationwide in 2020. 2021? 1,353, with only 19 of those occurring in the first seven months, leaving 1,334 deaths out of the 1,353 deaths to occur in the last five months of 2021. And again, what were people doing around that time? Get vaccinated. That was 2021. And in 2022, with Victorian mandates in place until July, 10,267 deaths. More than four times deadlier than the previous two years combined. 
the vid finally broke the numbers in the nationwide top five ways to die. Now granted we needed to be inoculated against reason, combined with lockdowns that destroyed our health, making us more vulnerable to the very virus that we locked down for. And 2023 deaths, with abs.gov.au only having the stats to close out July, a seven month toll more deadly than the years 2020 and 2021 combined with 2,934. The first seven months of 2023, not even close to how fatal it was during the mandates. So where 2020 and 2021 failed to break the top 20 leading causes of death, the post-lockdown and post-vaccinated years have blown it out of the water. 19,510 casualties up to July 31st, 2023. Three and a half years worth, and SARS-CoV-2 finally beats out 2019's 12-month leading cause of death. And of that near 20,000, 4,050 of those were COVID-related, not the main cause. Comparing that with the near 600,000 nationwide deaths between the start of the pandemic and July 31st, 2023, given COVID-19, an abs.gov.au total of 3.3% of all nationwide deaths. And while that's all we have from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, if we head over to worldometers.info, we find an updated number as of early December 2023, with some extra deaths since July, north of 3,000, which, by the way, makes those five months over three times more deadly than the 18 months most Australians went unvaccinated. Grouping the whole lot together with the early December 2023 figures, 22,974 deaths divided by 11,701,148 cases multiplied by 100 gives us a less than 0.2% fatality rate. And again, why not, right? Do you remember the military checkpoints? Making sure you didn't stray too far from your residency? The mighty Ring of Steel. You remember bottle shops kept open? while gyms were closed in the name of health. Or the bloated police force standing shoulder to shoulder under a banner of social distancing, pepper spraying elderly women in the face twice for her protection. After her head bounced off a bitumen road, about as well as elderly women's heads bounce off bitumen roads. That same police force firing rubber bullets for our protection, but only at certain protesters, right? Remember, the rate of transmission rose and fell depending on the cause you were marching for. If you march for the life of a thief, high on fentanyl in another country, who once held a pistol to a pregnant lady's belly and whose name rhymes with Tom Boyd, the risks were lower. But if you dared march because the most at risk of COVID infection were tested the least and mourning our departed was limited to a dozen loved ones while we were told to care more, then the march was a super spreader event, and you were a naughty boy for attending. The most at risk, by the way, being in aged care, where pre-mandate 80% of deaths had occurred, and a mere 7% of testing was performed. Parks, forests, beaches, playgrounds, shut, patrol, that time by drones, scanning number plates to funnel everyone into the supermarkets that held the highest rate of transmission, making sure you didn't exit through last week's entry. See, you can't walk through that door, the same automatic doors you and everybody else will still trundle through on your journey to the now overcrowded supermarkets because that was all that was left open. 
What safety precautions were taken by those clearly not scared of the virus there during peak hour for a box of shapes and a fight over shit tickets in the buildings that again held the highest rate of transmission? Don't walk through a doorway in the wrong direction. Entering through exits would be reserved for the far less savoury activities in the gayest culture that's ever existed. Billionaires grew richer in the largest transfer of wealth ever. Our own fine Premier gave himself a pay rise to become Australia's highest paid Premier. Who'd tell the citizens who had their jobs torn away from them to grovel at the feet of the very folk who stripped them of their livelihood. Who passed a bill that still exists as soon as he could. The Public Health and Wellbeing Amendment Bill. Worded about as well as a Patriot Act. The bill that wrong Victorians marched against, turning out more numbers than the Civil Rights March on Washington, weekend after weekend. Those that stayed home, too stoic to look at it, too resilient to voice their opinions, said we won't stand up. Matter of fact, we'll re-elect him. A crown for the King of Madness. Anzac Day parades cancelled on the same day, 90,000 sports ball sims packed out a stadium and cheered. More definitions change as the CDC change their meaning of vaccine so it no longer includes immunity. A two birds one stone move that targets the unrealistic expectation of 100% immunity and a safeguard for the ineffective rushed COVID-19 vaccine. During the height of Saturnalia, Merriam-Webster had also changed their definition of anti-vaxxer to determine not just someone against vaccines, but also someone against regulations mandating vaccines. Back an inmate running the asylum, Michael Gunner, then Premier of NT, who said this while the entire top end was still yet to deal with a single COVID death. If you are anti-mandate, you are absolutely anti-vax. I don't care what your personal vaccination status is. If you support, champion, give a green light, give comfort to, support anybody who argues against the vaccine, you are an anti-vaxxer. Absolutely. Your personal vaccination status is utterly irrelevant. This is a guy who is sending the military into people's homes to transfer COVID-positive cases and close contacts to quarantine facilities again before he was yet to deal with a single COVID death. And wouldn't until 22 months into the pandemic. All of which means near on nothing, three and a half years on, as we've all settled so comfortably into this new normal. Five allowable reasons to leave your home. Yeah, let's sweep that one under the rug, shall we? The protesters were the crazy ones. Injections more trusted, the least effective they were. Trusted most from a corporation done for fraud in the largest criminal payout in US history, amounting to 2009's $2.3 billion. Healthcare workers stood down for operating the same way they were for the first 20 months of the pandemic. They became a strain on the healthcare system. Of course they did. You barred them entry to the healthcare system. Alcohol, drugs, cigarette consumption. All increased for said healthcare system, not to mention the rise in being squirted out the arse end of a Macca's drive through because we've got to leave those doors open again for health and longevity. Not unlike the strict designated hour for outdoor exercise, because we all know how vicious the virus became after the 59th minute, yet it was only madness when you questioned it. It was only madness if you didn't go along to get along, with everything folk were branded mad for suggesting a year prior. Vaccine mandates, quarantine camps, digital passports, and elbow handshakes. All that and more fine to submit to when they came out. All insane to suggest in 2020. Once it's upon us, it's their rejection that's scoffed at. Because normies don't get red-pilled. Normies don't get black-pilled. Normies don't get based or woken up. Normies scarcely miss their programs that tell them how wrong their instincts are. 
normies allow such gaslighting to make the necessary changes. Normies say, that's over there, not over here. Normies get normalised. That's why they're normies. It's only madness when you questioned it, and it's not authoritarian if you obey. And of course it wasn't authoritarian. Mandates were put in place for us to abandon our instincts, our scepticism, our threat radar, our ability to recognise these patterns. Bills were passed to destroy our collective immune system, leaving us vulnerable to such decay as blokes in dresses. The nonsense that's happened since, the nonsense that'll follow on from now, to a broken community, does it even matter? To a culture so demoralised, so defeated, yet somehow so proud, it's only hostile to those that point it out. Complicit during all of this, hell-bent on their obedience to beggar kings, to the parasite class. Trapped in this perpetual state of toxic positivity, so fragile and dependent upon the very system that hates them, that to question a curfew during the least transmissible hours of the day had you looked at like you think the earth's flat. The rot that's happened since and that'll continue to happen is no more than a natural progression for a pampered society so done it turned government corruption into a Lovecraftian horror. Dare we call it the peace and safety of a new dark age. It's not Dagon that sends us running. It's not a Cthulhu that scrambles our brain if we catch a glimpse. But the idea that money talks. That big business does big business. That maybe... There are folks out there who hate you for your naivety and want to farm you over your inability to recognise them for what they are. That the conveniences and consumer products may not be there solely for the benefit of those consuming them. That's what leaves Westerners shaking in their boots. I mean, what other culture... Could such obvious nonsense thrive in? What other culture would have such a weakened immune system that a virus with a less than 1% mortality rate could bring it to its knees, assuming said culture wasn't already on its knees long before digital screens kept us reminded of an outbreak? How do you think these last few years will get real aid through history? Imagine telling the next generation of the politics and lockdowns of SARS-CoV-2. They figure it out. One of the easiest things to do. See when you look. Which shouldn't be too hard for those kept away from our education system for so long. And they ask, well, where were the people? Same thing that was heard by many at these protests. About time some men showed up. And what do we say? How do we explain what the men were doing? Oh, they were watching porn. Jerking off, playing video games. Hypnotised by ball sports, eating what can only be described as non-foods. And fuck, some of them wore dresses. As if to mirror those that didn't. Well, of course it worked. Of course it worked. Why wouldn't it? How about the women? What were the ladies doing? Oh, they convinced themselves they'd be more empowered being tax cattle. They got jobs in construction and tried to be men because we all know that there's a void there. Seems to me trannies made their mark long before men entered female swimming, weightlifting and cage fighting. All that sounds a lot like a country that'd have a distraught pregnant lady in her jam jams and tears an hour before her ultrasound as the face of a rebellion. Could you imagine? Now they don't have to lock you down to make your life miserable. Now they let you out. To experience the new normal. It was welcomed with open arms and collapsed dorsal fins. 
And no matter how bad things get, the most important action one can take will be to remain part of a culture that won't question any of it. That's what scepticism is. Be part of a society that beats you down, demoralizes you, tells you you were born wrong, has you addicted to, if not literal meth, then digital meth. Half a dozen social media accounts. Half a dozen television subscriptions. Music subscriptions, pornography, video games, more drugs you can get your hands on. A saturation of sports ball, fast food, alcohol and cigarettes. A culture that incentivizes breaking the family unit. The cost of living that has both men and women committing karoshi in their attempt to own something and be miserable. Living paycheck to paycheck. If only we had a word to describe being owned. And having our labour exchanged for just enough to feed, clothe and shelter ourselves. A cashless society that nobody gives two squirts of piss about and that shames you into blind obedience lest you become ostracised by a community also refusing to question anything and all that without mentioning the children in drag with their own brand of injections but nobody's being propagandised? Interest rates, food prices, fuel prices. The facial recognition that was torn away from the developing minds of children we claim to hold so dear and transferred over to the developing tech we literally hold dear in our own very hands, yet all that's fine so long as the Branch Covidians don't look like them wacky conspiracy nuts? So paranoid to be seen as paranoid. Over a virus so deadly, you have to get tested to know that you have it. Will we have to pretend to be scared of a virus with a less than 1% fatality rate, or else folk will think we're cultish and loony? If this is the level of madness we're accepting, when this is what passes for sanity, what was the point of removing lead from our environment? If this is the toxic trash we're going to consume, why not go back to rubbing lead all over our faces and sometimes eating it? We no longer need lead contamination to induce insanity and bring a society to its knees. Backpats work just fine. Modern equivalences to defrutum and sweet wine work just fine. And they've led us all the same to our own deliriously mad downfall. The Romans literally drank from a poisoned chalice. Five reasons to leave your house and elbow handshakes. Can we really criticise them and claim to be any different? Just as a side note, Kiroshi. That's a Japanese term for their phenomenon of dropping dead at their workstation. And while an exaggerated analogy, I believe our souls left us at our 9 to 5 long ago. My point is, the stats read earlier mean absolutely nothing and shouldn't. It was complete nonsense before concrete evidence and you shouldn't need said stats years after the fact to call a spade a spade. To turn once again to Douglas, I have found that, to make a contented slave, it is necessary to make a thoughtless one. It is necessary to darken his moral and mental vision, and as far as possible, to annihilate the power of reason. He must be able to detect no inconsistencies in slavery. He must be made to feel that slavery is right, and he can be brought to that only when he ceases to be a man. There's an audacity in reading that quote that brings out the you do realises and the how dare yous and the who do you think you are's. Because the world, or at least the total inversion the Western civilization has become, has this. Was that annoying? Well, there's plenty of patrons of the infamous McGym chain titled Planet Fitness who would disagree. Basically, at this particular brand of quote-unquote health and fitness center that serves pizza alongside their horse shit, they'll also throw a hissy fit 
and anyone who really shows effort. Grunting, dropping weights, lifting, just in general. They'll sound what they call a lunk alarm on those they in their own words label one who grunts, drops weights, or judges. Because nothing calls out judgy behaviour like an ear-piercing siren that brings an entire gym's focus onto a single patron. But because they're playing a game, a game that unfortunately our culture creates and nurtures, and because so few people are willing to help anyone up, because we live in such a selfish society, many are left to flounder at Planet Fitness eating pizza and barely putting in any effort and have convinced themselves that'll get the job done. Mocked by those arrogant enough to assume that their fellow citizen doesn't represent themselves and their nation. I asked earlier what kind of a community could this thrive in. How about one without a sense of community? It's no wonder why folk have turned to television, oddly enough, the same tool that's left us in this mess. Everyone else has failed them, so they turn to what they've always known. What's always been there for them, at the flick of a switch, the only thing they can't afford to consider has ever let them down, and now they're left playing pretends at adult daycare with a lunk alarm. And that game of pretends? That's easier to swallow, that's easier to comprehend. A comforting lie, less Lovecraftian than the fact that most TV is trash and that modern diets and modern lifestyles turn us into pudding. And the best way to reverse that is with effort. And if you break that act and those theatrics, they'll sound an alarm on you. Because according to Planet Fitness, the McGym that embodies the West... That's what a lunk is. Look away. Play the game. Hold up the cave fade because really the theatrics are entertaining and it's fun to cheer and jeer. Now, my goal here wasn't really to educate you about professional wrestling. Although I'll talk your ear off later on over a cocktail if you'd like to after the show. But my goal here is that hopefully the next time you're watching the news and you find yourself getting angry about what you see, that you realize that that's exactly the way they want you to feel. They don't want you to think. They want you to feel just like Vern Gagne did, just like Vince McMahon did, just like I did for 30 years. And like I did when I first came out here and challenged this gentleman to jump on stage and knock me out. I wasn't trying to make him think, I was trying to make him feel. And if we recognize that we're inundated daily with information designed not to make us think but make us feel, once you recognize it's a little bit like an alcoholic or a drug addict, you can't fix it till you know you've got the problem and you're willing to admit it. That was Eric Bischoff, a WWE Hall of Famer, speaking in his 2016 TED Talk on the Theatre of Politics. The rot we've seen since March 2020 had nothing to do with SARS-CoV-2. The past three and a half years have had more to do with scary fish gods, pro wrestling and lunk alarms than it does with a virus. If you think masks outdoors camping prohibitions, elbow handshakes, and again, curfews during the least transmissible hours of the day are ridiculous. You've forgotten how dangerous nail clippers are at 35,000 feet. The Vietnamese paddy farmers are coming to get us. That Afghani goat herders are coming to get us, and to protect yourself from an atomic blast, hide under a desk. When it comes to mass compliance on a narrative, it could have been for a virus, or it could have been for leaded fuel being fine for public health. For sea levels rising as our altitude stays the same, while those rich enough to yell at the weather are the first to buy oceanside properties. 
Your compliance might have been needed for another campaign tacked onto the forever wars that the good guys just keep on winning. With drovers on your left and drovers on your right, your compliance could have been needed for convincing you that scepticism not only has a sacred cow, but to be a sceptic means keeping your mouth shut and trusting in those you call leaders. Or that diversity is our strength. And that person X definitely committed suicide. There's no need to rattle off a list of names to argue over when we already have one we can all agree on. Jeffrey Epstein. Now remember, Epstein happened pre-COVID. He was arrested and died pre-COVID. What Epstein's handlers didn't know in the before times was to just wait a year. And be shown that no one would give a shit. So what's the point at this stage? What's the point of political assassinations in a world where conspiracies don't exist, but Julian Assange and Edward Snowden are household names? This person got suicided. This person got heart attacked. Whether true or not, do you really think it'd be necessary? Oh, the public will find out. I'll blow the whistle on this entire operation, and then the public will know. So? The public are openly scoffed at by those in power. The public bring themselves and their children to us for three injections in six months and thank us for it. Throw them enough shiny trinkets and the public will do as they're told. A few funny memes. That's what the public hold on to because you can't spell the leader express without lol. Or your compliance might have also been needed for deeming half the population of your fellow countrymen non-essential. To name only a few happenings that many foolishly thought would strike a chord. Like the CDC's admission they weren't tracking the virus recovery pre-rollout or from unvaxxed patients. Or the genius in the UK dubbed Dr. Lockdown, who is such a fan of him, found on the other side of the country to his wife and children during his lockdowns with his mistress. Publicly very pro-lockdown. Privately, not so much. The ongoing saga with the Dutch farmers. The Rogan interview with Dr. Robert Malone, the guy who invented the technology for mRNA vaccines. There was the guy who invented the test kits who said, that's not how these are meant to be used. Ivermectin gets put on a list of cures. Then there's this stunning admission in court by Pfizer. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market. If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it entered the market? No, uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. And from that point of view, we had to do everything at risk. There was the recorded date from Project Veritas with the gay guy also from Pfizer and those in charge just straight up telling you what they've done and what they'll do in the future. We watch a Dutch farmer's saga unravel in real time and listening to the farmers say, the public don't care. That Gen Pop are out there just living their lives. Not wanting to look at it. More content, the worse it gets. All of that means nothing to a society that won't read into it. One final quote from Douglas, and when you hear it, just keep in mind an L, that's E-double-L, 
is an historic unit of measurement, about 45 inches or an arm length. We still measure in feet. Apparently we used to measure in arms. This is in reference to a time in his youth when the wife of a slave owner had begun teaching him to read. And see if you can catch any resemblance with what he was told to the attitudes of today and what's best for us common folk. Very soon after I went to live with Mr. and Mrs. Ould, she very kindly commenced to teach me the ABC. After I had learned this, she assisted me in learning to spell words of three or four letters. Just at this point of my progress, Mr. Ould found out what was going on, and at once forbade Mrs. Ould to instruct me further, telling her, amongst other things, that it was unlawful, as well as unsafe, to teach a slave to read. To use his own words further, he said, If you give a nigger an inch, he will take an owl. A nigger should know nothing but to obey his master, to do as he is told to do. Learning would spoil the best nigger in the world. Now, said he, if you teach that nigger, speaking of myself, how to read, there would be no keeping him. It would forever unfit him to be a slave. He would at once become unmanageable and of no value to his master. As to himself, it could do him no good but a great deal of harm. It would make him discontented and unhappy. These words sank deep into my heart, stirred up sentiments within that lay slumbering, and called into existence an entire new train of thought. It was a new and special revelation, explaining dark and mysterious things with which my youthful understanding had struggled, but struggled in vain. End quote. The tail wags the dog. The frog's been boiled for years as some dipshit NPC, proud as punch, tells you that COVID's over. Stop worrying. Almost as if to imply that if the situation were to repeat itself, they actually do just one thing differently. And in the next sentence tell you that it's just an app and it's for our protection. Just wear the mask. Just bake the cake. Their conditions worsen. Their desire to be free lessens. Are you scared of a jab? How about bugs? See, much like cow farts, grassy knolls, catching the final Hollywood pedo for real this time, and 15-minute cities, COVID was just one more fairy tale for wide-eyed Joe Normie to fall head over heels for seemingly just to see if he would. Because Joe Normie will never say no. Joe Normie will never stand up. He'll never leave to find alternatives. And by 2030, you'll eat the bugs. You'll own nothing. And you'll be happy. <laughs>